The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit PBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the big finish audio production, Regeneration Impossible. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? Uh, folks, remember to like The Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook at facebook.com slash secrets of Doctor Who. You can retweet us on Twitter, where we're at SQPN. And be sure to leave us comments wherever you find us. We love to hear from you online. I want to tell you about another show in the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Technology. And you can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash technology. I want to remind everyone to stick around to the end. We have plenty of listener feedback, some really great feedback we've gotten recently. And before we get into the show, I want to share with everyone on the video uh, what I'm wearing, which is a, my new Doctor Who shirt I got for Christmas. This is my first chance to show uh -oh. it off. I'm going to stand up a little bit. So you can see it's got the TARDIS and mm -hmm. it's got all of the, Not, nine the new through Doctor 13. Shirt. Yes, 9 through yep. 13. And appropriately for today's episode, the word regeneration underneath it. So. Nice. <laughs> so that's my uh, my wife's gift to me for Christmas, Doctor Who related. So um, fun. I'm not sure where she got it. Actually, I think she got it from T Public, which hmm. um, so I have to I have to double check that. Maybe put a link in the show notes for anyone who's interested. All right. So all the preamble done. Jimmy, could you give us a recap of what happens in Regeneration Impossible? This week, the 11th Doctor is in his mopey retirement period between the departure of Amy and Rory and his discovery of a version of Clara Oswald in the 1890s. As we see in the Snowman Christmas special, he's hanging out and moping in 1890s London. And in the episode, he gets a call from the Paternoster gang alerting him to some kind of time anomaly. Eleven doesn't want to get involved, though, but readings on the TARDIS reveal that the anomaly is another Time Lord, and he thinks he might not have to be alone anymore, so he investigates. The readings lead him to a morgue, where the Eleventh Doctor discovers the Twelfth Doctor. The Twelfth Doctor has come back to 1892 from the year in which he had Bill as a companion, although Bill is not here. Uh, he was lured here by a modern photograph of one of his students, Gregory Chapman, lying dead in the morgue with the date of November 26, 1892. Coming back to investigate, Twelve found himself locked in a death trap. He keeps regenerating, but without changing forms. Instead, the body of Gregory Chapman keeps changing appearance into another of his students after each regeneration. The two doctors start getting calls on an iPhone from a mysterious voice that sounds like the Twelfth Doctor and that threatens them with death. It turns out that the voice belongs to a regeneration vampire that constructed the death trap, and the vampire has been impersonating the students on the slab, absorbing the Twelfth Doctor's regenerations. 
its plan is to drain the life, all of the lives, out of the Twelfth Doctor and use them to extend its own life. But the vampire has been using a time ring to move around time, and the Eleventh Doctor steals the time ring and whisks himself and the vampire off to the Sahara Desert. While there, he figures out how to defeat the vampire. He takes them back to the death trap and plugs himself into the machinery. Eleven then draws the Twelfth Doctor's stolen regenerations out of the vampire and into himself. This kills the vampire and returns all the regenerations to him, so the Twelfth Doctor will be able to use them in the future. This wipes the Eleventh Doctor's memory of what's going on, but the Twelfth Doctor returns him to his own TARDIS. The end. So, uh, first thing to mention is, uh, so we get the 12th and 10th Doctors. This is not Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi. The, the, all of the voice acting in this is done by uh, voice actor Jacob Dudman. Right. And he does yep. a, an extraordinarily good job of, of, I thought, of the two Doctors. He's bang mm-hmm. on for Matt Smith. Yes. He, he really sounds like Matt Smith. His Peter Capaldi is not quite as good. You can tell it's not him, but it's still quite evocative of yeah. Peter Capaldi. It's, yeah, there, there are a couple of times I kind of noticed it, it, this, it's slipping a little bit, but not by much, Both with both voices, yeah. but still very good, very well done. He also plays the, uh, the part of the time vampire, or the regeneration yep. vampire. This is part of this story is part of a range that Big Finish has called short trips. And so, as the name would suggest, these are short adventures. They're Mm -hmm. typically a Big Finish adventure is between an hour long and two hours long, but Mm -hmm. short trips are often around 30 minutes. And they're usually acted, they're frequently acted by someone from the show. Not always, but frequently. And um, they're usually acted as a read short story. So it's just, they're written as if they're a short story from a third-person perspective, and you have someone reading the short story. So, for example, if it's a third Doctor story, it might be read by Katie Manning, who played Joe Grant as the third Doctor's assistant. But this, unlike most short trips, is read as if it's a full audio play. So you have sound effects, it's not, there's no narration, it's just dialogue, and, um, and, and you have Jacob Dudman performing all of the parts, but making his voice sound different. So it's, it's read as if it's an audio play, rather than just a short story being read. And uh, while this came out in May 2020, this was not another one of those lockdown recording things. This was actually apparently that recorded was, in 2019. Yeah, that was too quick. They 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 have yeah. a substantial time between when they record yep. and when they release at Big Finish. According, according to the TARDIS wiki, it was about a year between recording. It was April 2019 when they recorded it. So this was long before we even heard the word COVID or <laughs> coronavirus. Right, right. Yeah, since since the epidemic launched in March of 2020. I, I, it's, it takes them too long. It's like, guys, come on, you can produce audio. You don't need that long a production timeline. Um, right. I want my Dr. Ruth set now. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Let's get it done, boys. Uh, so the title, Regeneration Impossible, is obviously a riff off of Mission Impossible, the old TV show and movies franchise. Um, and I don't think it has much of a connection beyond riffing on that, in, except in the idea of, you know, it this involves 
the doctor's regeneration cycles in an impossible situation. Uh, well, there's also the fact which they deal with up front where um, Matt Smith, as we learned in in um, Time of the Doctor, is the 14th regeneration because of the war doctor and the metacrisis doctor. So mm-hmm. Matt Smith's doctor believes I'm it. When I die, the doctor ends. And so he, he thinks for him, regeneration is impossible. And then he meets this impossible future regeneration of himself. And at first, he doesn't believe it. He says, you know, no, when I go, there's no more doctor. And um, and the 12th doctor says, it, Matt Smith says, Matt Smith's doctor says, I'm, I'm the last one. And 12 says, oh, you are? Awkward. I'll just sit in a corner and not exist, shall I? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. So, and now with the Thirteenth Doctor and everything we learned there, you know, there's the idea of regeneration limits is out the window. There's no, yeah, there's no longer yeah. even, you know, considering that. Although Twelve doesn't know that either, because right. it's mm-hmm. before the Timeless Child, and so he thinks that all the Time Lords gave him was a new cycle of regenerations. Right. And since he's burning through those in the death trap, he thinks that he's coming to his end as well. And at one point he says, seven regenerations to go. Any chance you can hurry this along? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, because this was, I mean, we learned the, all about the the uh, extend, the timeless child stuff after May 2020. So, you know, that's, this wasn't even you know, part of the lore, the canon yet, so... Such yeah. as it is. Yep. At at one point, the time vampire apparently gets Peter Capaldi's doctor into his last regeneration and is then going to kill him. And that's when Matt Smith intervenes. And I'm just going to use the actor's names. Sure. Yeah. Um, Matt Smith intervenes and says, I'm not going to let you kill him. And that's when he whisks them off to the Sahara Desert. Right. Right. By the way, time rings are a technology, although this is apparently a finger ring mm-hmm. that the uh, time vampire has. Um, regeneration vampire has uh time rings were introduced back in the the second uh tom baker story genesis mm, of the daleks right. because it was a time ring rather than a tardis that brought the doctor harry and sarah to ancient gallifrey or to ancient scarrow right right and this vampire you know, we've it's different from the vampires of Venice, which were alien creatures, right? Mm-hmm. It's also different from the vampires from the dark times, or seemingly so, that we'll meet in the Tom Baker episode State of Decay, which we haven't watched yet. And okay. it's different from the Hemovores we uh, we saw in um, in the recent Seventh Doctor episode, right? So, th- is this unique? Do, have we seen this kind of vampire before? As far as I know, we've never seen it before. Yeah. Okay. All right. Just curious about that. And like you said, it takes place around the time of that Christmas special, The Snowmen, where the, the TARDIS is sitting on top of a cloud in Victorian London and uh, the 11th Doctor is pouting. Um, right. In, well, it takes in place that. from the 11th Doctor's timeline there and then the 12th yeah. Doctor's at, after his time with Bill. So right at, at the time of his regeneration. Actually, basically. just before during- his... He, because he makes note of the twelfth doctor makes note of uh, the lunch lady who's been sitting in his class auditing, sneaking yeah. in, yeah. yeah. Which is you know, when we first meet Bill is when she's doing that. So this is sort of that interim period for both of them in you know, between right. seasons. So and 
Yeah, there's also a reference to this is the same year, but shortly before the snowmen, because at the one of the interplays they have is, you know, the Matt Smith's doctor has stopped saving people. He's claimed mm-hmm. to be retired. I'm not interfering very proper time, Lord me. And the 12th doctor, the whole reason he looks like Peter Capaldi is because the face was originally had by a Roman at Pompeii mm-hmm. that Donna Troy, um, not Donna Troy, Donna Noble, yep. um, told him, look, you don't have to save everybody at Pompeii, but you've got to, you, you, you do need to try to save someone. And so the explanation on screen is that the 12th Doctor's subconscious chose this face for him to remind him he needs to save mm-hmm. someone. And in this episode, the 12th Doctor tells the 11th Doctor, look, you don't have to save everybody, but you need to try to save someone. And that trying to save someone doesn't relieve you of the duty to try to save everyone. And you've Mm -hmm. stopped doing that because he's retired. And But as he's putting him back in the TARDIS, 12 says to the TARDIS, don't worry, he'll be over it by Christmas. And that's a reference to the Snowman special. Yep. Right, right. The uh, the 11th Doctor spends a lot of time talking to the TARDIS uh, because it's the only person he has, or thing he has to talk to. Um, and at one point in the beginning, when he gets this, this you know, the detects the radiation, I think the Artron radiation at first, um, he says to it, last time I thought I was, it was a Time Lord, you nearly became dinner. Which is a reference to the doctor's, the doctor's wife. wife. Yeah. Okay. And also from the doctor's wife, Matt Smith's doctor refers to the TARDIS as sexy. I mean, yep. as a as a as if it's her name. He says, "Sorry, sexy, got to go." Right. Yep. Right. That's right. Um, so there's a lot of little, you know, connections in here to other things. Uh, another point he talks about regenerating in a morgue is something you only do once, which is that, the, the TV the, movie, the Eighth yep. Doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was pretty good. Uh, the twelfth Doctor has a funny line. You know, once he, he you know, the, they're together. Eleven and twelve are together. I know what you're. I know where you're going. Yeah, <laughs> which is, um, it, you know, is she dead? Oh yes, and, or, or she's. I forget exactly what Eleven says, but he says to her, "Oh yes," and she's given up breathing for Lent. Like, yeah, <laughs> no. I liked that line. I was thinking of a different one when the two of them get together in the morgue. Um, Matt Smith's doctor is running off at the mouth and 12 says, yes. oh, brilliant, me-splaining. Yeah, that was yeah. my next note. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that so perfectly describes the doctor, right? In fact, that he would explain things to himself and different mm-hmm. regeneration on the timeline. I do like that. Um, there's, there's also, in addition to the nice, and that's part of the fun yep. of of multi-doctor stories is getting to see them interact and getting to see them banter with each other. There's also a nice bit of, there's a really deep cut, historical deep cut in in the dialogue that's very small. They have an iPhone and yep. that belonged apparently to Gregory Chapman. And you can tell it's an iPhone because it uses the marimba ringtone. Yes. <laughs> they don't call it an iPhone. They just say, oh, that's a smartphone. But it's got the marimba ringtone, so you know it's an iPhone. And when Matt Smith answers it, he says, ahoy. And that is a real historical deep cut back to Alexander Graham Bell. Because when telephones were invented, there was no protocol for how do you answer them? What do you say to tell someone you're on the line? 
And Alexander Graham Bell's suggestion was that you say ahoy, just like the greeting, the nautical greeting when ships meet. And um, and I guess, I don't know, maybe they also used it on those air tubes that they had on ships. Mm-hmm. Um, but his suggestion was that you use it on a phone, but it didn't mm-hmm. catch on and we got hello instead. It reminds me of Mr. Simpson on, uh, I mean, Mr. Burns on The Simpsons. Yes. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, in Italy, what they say, pronto, pronto. So, yeah, like, I, you know, it's one of those things we all do. But you never really think about why do we do that and not something else. And so I like yeah. that, that it calls that out. Uh, in Japanese, it's, in Japanese, it's moshmoshi. I wonder, there's, I am certain there is a webpage somewhere that lists all the different ways people answer the phone. The phone greetings. I'm sure. I'm certain of it without even looked. Um, so I'll have to look <laughs> after we're done. So we've got two different kinds of radiation energy being sucked out of the doctor. I thought Artron and regeneration energy were the same thing. Yeah, they seem to have slowly distanced themselves from that. I I know in past accounts, including in Big Finish, Artron energy and regeneration energy have been portrayed as the same thing. And, but apparently they're they're distinguishing them in this mm-hmm. story and I've seen them distinguish them in other stories recently. Well, I think it- so well, it's it, it's the conjunction of Artron energy with regeneration energy that tells Matt Smith's doctor there's another Time Lord here. Yeah. Well, I think they want to separate out the the energy that causes regeneration from just the general Time Lord energy because they, they, there's a point where they talk about how uh, Capaldi's doctor landed the TARDIS in there and flooded it with background background Artron radi Artron energy. So right. they're, they're saying Artron energy is just generally that's what time lord technology operates on and then radiation energy is maybe a specialized version of that i'm guessing because yeah that that's that's one thing that his at least in classic it was that was the name of the energy that caused the doctor to regenerate more than it was anything else yeah there's yeah there's that the idea i suppose from a story purpose you want to be able to say time lord's present without it having to be regeneration happening and that i mean I, i suppose that's one reason you do that so um, the, when they're talking about where they're from and where in the timeline, the twelfth Doctor says that because he gets accused of at first, uh, Matt Smith's Doctor accuses him of being the Master uh, mm-hmm. because you know that would be a Master sort of thing to do is to pretend to be the Doctor, a future regeneration of the Doctor. Uh, and he says, "No, no, the Missy is locked up 120 years and mile in the future and miles away." So, yeah. which although means he it, doesn't, he doesn't say Missy. He just says, "Oh no, she's yes, yep. 120 years and miles away." Um, and Matt Smith's doctor doesn't blink at the fact that she's a she because in the retcon, mm-hmm. it's always been the case that Time Lords change gender. <laughs> right, right, yep. And uh, yeah, so she's locked up in the vault underneath St. Luke's University, which would place it somewhere around before, as we've determined already, like beginning of that season but uh, we see yep. her in that vault in extremis which is the sixth episode of that season um so that that tenth season um there's a point at which 12 tells 11 about his future psychically so mm-hmm. there's like a telepathic moment they have the, con- see. the con the contact moment which which yep. goes all the way back, I know that goes back to the fifth doctor i don't remember if it goes back it's to in the, the third to the it is in the three doctors Yep. Um, yeah. That's when you first see it. 
Okay, I was I was blanking on which one of those specials it it started with. Um, but they do the contact moment and Matt Smith. Well, so this is helping Matt Smith's doctor get over the hump of how can you exist? Because I'm the last one. I'm the final regeneration. And Peter Capaldi says, oh, well, maybe you found some more. And it's like, what, you find regenerations lying around someplace? <laughs> and and he gives him a very, very abbreviated understanding telepathically of what happens in um, Time of the Doctor and how he regenerates. So we hear the line, love from Gallifrey boys, which is what the the 11th Doctor says to the Daleks after he's been given the new regeneration cycle. So Matt Smith learns that Gallifrey has survived. And um, and Peter Capaldi says, yeah, don't get too excited about it. They weren't happy about it. <laughs> <laughs> but then by the end of the episode, his memory has been blanked by uh, ha- funneling all the regenerations backwards from the vampire through right. himself to give them to Peter Capaldi. And so we get this, you know, lo- exchange at the end where after everything's all over, uh, Matt Smith says, he's very dazed, and he says two questions. Am I ginger? <laughs> and Peter Capaldi says, not yet. And he says, second question, who are you? And so <laughs> yeah. that that tells us he's he's right. blanked on everything he learned in this adventure. Well, and, and Peter Capaldi even says a couple of times, I don't remember this from, at least from his point of view. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's one of the things he says to the TARDIS, but he also says that earlier on that I don't remember any of this. So... And that's a that's a, a constant feature of multiple doctor encounters is the memory wipes and they don't remember each each other or the older one doesn't remember the the encounter with the one from his future. So um, we have to keep things yeah. straight, I guess. There's there's a great line in uh, Sycorax Rocks's um, uh, War Doctor Ninth Doctor song, mm-hmm. um, which re- revisits uh, Day of the Doctor and. And because the war doctor part is all dealing with the destruction of Gallifrey and the time war and stuff. And then there's this line that says, didn't blow up Gallifrey. It turns out I'm okay. Didn't blow up Gallifrey. Not that I'll remember, hey, could have saved some therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) So, um, yeah, we talked about how all the bodies, because it keeps regenerating through bodies and faces they're all students of the doctors of the university which is designed to keep him there while the the trap ha- acts on him i guess and mm-hmm. there's this uh, uh the first was this gregory chapman who turns out had was a vampire all along and from the beginning uh who's got a picture of in 2017 of the body in the 19th century morgue and that's that's what draws him in uh and then they conclude Oh, it's a time-traveling serial killer. That's their first conclusion. Um, and the 12, 12 says, I only know of two time-traveling murderers. I married one and locked the other in my basement. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> reference to River Song and Missy, <laughs> which, was, which was good. Um, I was hoping, because all of, the, all of the corpses on the slab are, which has needles in it that are part of the machinery of drawing out the time energy or the regeneration energy, all of this, all of the bodies are um, are are Peter Capaldi's students, mm-hmm. yeah. and so that's what's keeping him obsessed here. Now, what's happening is Peter Capaldi is being forced to regenerate, 
And as soon as he does that, it draws off the regeneration energy so that Peter Capaldi's body stays the same and the body on the slab changes. And it's really the time va- the regeneration vampire on the slab absorbing mm-hmm. the regeneration and changing as that happens. Right. And he keeps changing into one of Peter Capaldi's students to keep him obsessed with this problem so that he doesn't just try to get out and leave. I was hoping we would have a line like, oh, there's that lunch lady, but we <laughs> yeah. didn't. No, yeah. that wasn't good. Well, and it might have let us off the hook, though, because if, if it looked like Bill was dead on the slab, that might be, you know, we'd know it couldn't be Bill because of the time, you know, the, the, the paradox, I guess. Well, mm-hmm. that could have been the clue that yeah. helped him figure out it was a vampire or the right. occasion anyway. What's the mechanism by which he was causing the doctor to regenerate? Did we ever get that? I was a little confused. It's just the room is doing it. We're not really given an explanation yeah. beyond that. But it's only doing see, it to 12 and not 11. Yeah. See, and see, and that's why that's why I assumed it was during the the long regeneration sequence that included the first doctor and all that at the end of the 12th era was because he was in regeneration mode. At that time, it wasn't he was right. being forced into regeneration mode, but he was already in the process of regenerating and the vampire was able to use that. And that's why I made that assumption that it was at the end of the 12th era, not at the beginning of the bill. era. Right, right. Yeah, that that would have been. Yeah, I guess they just they didn't bother to they just just assume <laughs> somehow the, the death trap is 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 doing it. Yeah, some some time lord mechanism or something we know nothing about and have never heard of before and we'll never see again. You know how that goes. <laughs> yep. And the other thing that kept him there the, the as part of the trap was this the iPhones, the voicemails from what sounded like the 12th Doctor to himself, but was from the vampire. But, you know, each leaving a clue to keep him to keep him in the trap. And as that unfolds, the 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 messages start to give things away, because mm-hmm. once Matt Smith shows up, the the it the the voice on the phones tells peter capaldi kill him right and mm-hmm. and peter capaldi is like oh come on if you're trying to be if you're trying to be me at least try to be clever if i kill him i i don't exist so you're clearly not understanding what the situation is right mm-hmm. you're right. and therefore you're clearly not me and the reason why the vampire went after capaldi was he stayed in one place for too long. So he was mm-hmm. at the, at St. Luke's as a professor for 70 years, which apparently no one noticed this guy had been there. That's been a pretty long tenure. They, there was, <laughs> they, they meant, they just talked yeah. about it in the series. Like he moved offices or something. And there was, you know, there was some yeah. way that he was able to. Yeah. I remember it. that coming up. Yeah. University bureaucracies are bureaucracies. So yeah. <laughs> right. So, and so he was there for 70 years, which gave the, which meant that he, he could be seen as a time lord by this regeneration vampire and set up this elaborate trap for him. So that's that's you know one of the reasons why it was the twelfth doctor. Um, so the 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 motivation for Chapman as a vampire, he's already immortal, right? But what well, he wanted was the ability to heal. Yeah, he he wanted the ability to be immune to age, and mm-hmm. so he wanted regeneration abilities for that purpose there's some hand wavy stuff going on there and there are some plot holes like okay if the bodies are changing 
because on the slab because of the regenerations. Aren't you just burning through those regenerations? Yeah, but um, but actually, they kind of they they kind of explain that too because they yeah. say, well, w- these are humans and human bodies, and humans are different than time lords, so it takes like nothing to make them change. Mm-hmm. So you could still say he's he's building up regeneration energy and just using a tiny bit of it to make the body right. the human bodies change to keep and, Peter and, Capaldi intrigued. And they make it clear that the vampire isn't truly immortal. That you know they jump yeah. to the Sahara where it's burning. You know, kind of the traditional right. vampires burn in sunlight, and uh, they say, "Oh yeah, you you realize I'm not really immortal. I just live for a very very long time." And he right. wants to basically become immortal or as close to it as he can with the energy he gets. Yeah. They also do a, a motivation fake out where um, the vampire is triumphing now that Peter Capaldi's in his last regeneration. I'm going to kill him and it's going to extinguish your species. And once he gets taken to the Sahara, the vampire says, oh, the extinction of your species is just a side benefit. Really, what mm-hmm. I'm doing is trying to extend my own life and health. Right. And then, you know, as we mentioned, they, they, they get it all back and we status quo ante. We're back to where we were uh, before the, you know, the events of this happen. Um, so also we have the Matt Smith kills him yeah. in this because he um, he when they get back to the from the Sahara to the to the death trap. Um, you know, Peter Capaldi's still there unconscious and Matt Smith is irate and he's saying, I would have helped you if you had just asked next time ask. And the time vamp, the regeneration vampire says there's going to be an X time. And Matt Smith says no and activates the machinery to suck <laughs> all the life out of him. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty brutal. I mean, it's pretty like, I mean, it's, you know, it's the consequences I just enjoy of his actions. See, I just yeah. enjoy seeing the doctor kill people because <laughs> it, 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 it's, it, it goes contrary to all the rhetoric they use in New Who and shows, yeah, the doctor is enough of a realist to realize that lethal force can be justified mm-hmm. on occasion. So I love seeing right. those occasions. <laughs> there was kind of a little scene there that I liked where the Matt Smith is doing his usual, just rambling on and the vampire kind of stops. And is like, I'm not going to let you talk yourself into a plan. And he throws him against the wall and all this kind of stuff. And he starts monologuing and Matt Smith immediately goes, well, I, I come up with plans while other people are talking, you know, and it kind of <laughs> reminded me of the Incredibles with a uh, uh, syndrome. You clever, clever person. You got me monologuing. <laughs> yes. Monologuing villains, monologuing villain, villains, always monologue. Yep. So, uh, any final thoughts and assessment of the story? What you think of it, Father Corey? No, this was, this was fun. It was, you know, it's only half an hour long, so it's a nice, easy listen, and it's kind of fun. And it, it, like, like we said before, you know, I agreed with Jimmy from, from the beginning is the, the, the narrator did a very good job of, the voice actor did a very good job of impersonating the, the, the two voices mm. uh, in, you know, in, in a reasonably well-done way. And Jimmy? I enjoyed it, and I'm glad that Big Finish is using Jacob Dudman and other voice actors for uh, doctors who are not available. I, I want to mm-hmm. hear adventures involving these characters, and so I, I glad they found. I'm glad they found a good work work around for um, these situations. Yeah, I'm not sure if Dudman is the same one who also does the Tenth Doctor, but I've heard that one. Not as impressed by it, but maybe if I'd if I'd heard some more of him, I'd I'd be a little bit better. 
the nice thing is that um, that David Tennant has been doing yeah. some mm-hmm. additional voice. In fact, he did voice work for Big Finish before he was the Tenth Doctor. And he's been doing voice work as the 10th Doctor for them now, and probably before too long as the 14th Doctor. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, it's all very... A 10th and 14th Doctor crossover? (laughs) That would be confusing. That would be interesting. I wouldn't put it past Big Finish to do that. Yeah. It'd be confusing (laughs) to listen to, I think, but we'll see if they can do it. All right, so that's uh, put a pin in the regeneration of possible. We did mention that we have some listener feedback, so let's get to that right now. Uh, we got some feedback on a, a somewhat older episode, uh, 196, Vincent and the Doctor, on our YouTube channel. We got the uh, Dutchman's Mine asked, does Victory of the Daleks count as a historical? I thought they did Churchill all right. Yeah, Victory of the Daleks counts as a historical because it's it's set on Earth in a historical time period, namely the World War II period. Um, it's a modern historical in that it has mon- it has sci-fi elements in it. The the original historicals didn't; they were just straightforward mm-hmm. history. But um, but subsequently, they've included sci-fi elements in almost all historicals. The one right. exception being Black Orchid where there's nothing science fiction in Black Orchid, which was a Fifth Doctor story we talked about. It's also a two-parter. Right. Mm -hmm. Apart from the ones in the First Doctor's time, which were like the Aztec one and Reign of Terror, and those were pure historicals too. The last last one of those was Patrick Troughton's second story, The Highlanders. You know, and that's, I think, what was why it came up in Vincent and the Doctor was my usual rant about I'd love to see more pure historicals in New Who. Mm -hmm as opposed to always having to insert a sci-fi element. Um, and I, and I, so, you know, does it count as a historical? Yes, Victory of the Daleks does. But it's not a pure historical, which is what I was talking about then. So, yeah. Yeah, it's like Vincent in and the Doctor is such a great story. Do we really need the chicken woman duck thing in it? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, speaking of Vincent, I, I just, as a personal note, I got to go to the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston recently and see vincent's paintings up close and it is mm. as wonderful and amazing as they depicted mm. in the i mean i've seen him before and they i've been to the mfa many times but i just love seeing his paintings and you know all of that so it's no, it's no tortoise true. in any of them though huh <laughs> no, i looked i got very close and looked uh and, the docent and didn't you, like that <laughs> you didn't you didn't see a chicken woman duck thing either no did not okay. see one of those either well, very there's, disappointed. A, there, there's a chicken woman duck thing waiting for all of us so <laughs> yeah <laughs> Then in our 13th Doctor retrospective episode we did recently, uh, Jennifer sent an email and said, Over the years, I have come to realize why Tolkien did not like Hans Christian Andersen. Andersen was not only preachy, he was very negative to the point of being cynical and very critical. Try hmm. reading The Bog King's Daughter or The Ice Maiden, not to be confused with The Snow Queen, or The Red Shoes. Tolkien did like The Ugly Duckling. It's one of the few Anderson stories that's not preachy, and he liked the rusticity of The Ugly Duckling. And anyone who says that Tolkien was only using his characters as mouthpieces, well, they're wrong. All he was doing was allowing one character to answer another character's question within the context of the dialogue. That's not the same thing as what some of the writers for Doctor Who have been doing. I personally found the 13th Doctor bland and way too preachy, and then she adds, this podcast is fun, and I still enjoy the rants. So, yeah. Thank you, Jennifer. I think there's a big difference between exposition and being preachy. Yeah. 
Tolkien's very good at that, you know, exposing, here's what's going on. Here's the background. Here's, you know, but yeah, the 13th Doctor, it's preaching. Yeah, and fortunately, it's a temptation um, in writing. I was watching some, uh, I think I was watching your two um, discussion of Star Trek Discovery and how mm-hmm. preachy it has become. And one of y'all are made a comment about the original Star Trek not being preachy. And it's like, well, yeah, it wasn't this preachy, but right. Omega glory. Um, <laughs> it, when Gene Roddenberry was writing, it could get preachy. Well, but, uh, but that's a, a perennial human temptation. Um, yeah. Back in the 19th century, Mark Twain had the famous dictum fiction must never preach overtly, always covertly. Mm-hmm. And it, that's a paraphrase, but you know he was giving that same advice to people in his day. Well, you could kind of. I I think that came comment came up with kind of the objection of, oh, Star Trek has always been progressive and pushing the needle forward and everything. It's like, well, that might be true, but not the way Discovery does it's it. Not the, the way Discovery. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And and that's the thing is is um you know, like it, as Jennifer says, it, it, Tolkien and, and other writers when they're doing it right. The character's motivation, their context, their their the the context of the plot, it makes sense, it fits, it doesn't feel like now the author is going to talk to me about mm-hmm. this thing. And that's when it gets it's when the author is talking or the you know, the screenwriter is talking directly to the audience and and giving you know, in, in the in the character's only a mouthpiece. That's when it becomes a real problem and that's that's one of the things we're I- talking about. I will say, though, it's still better than some Christian fictions I've read where they literally will have a blog post of some <laughs> preachers preaching. And it's just like, okay, that's within yeah. the book. It's like, no, that, no. That you, if you can't see that's wrong, you just forget it. Stop writing. Yeah, <laughs> well, people, people should heed Mark Twain's dictum. Although, right. I mean, you know, maybe he was, maybe, maybe it wasn't such a problem in the past. Maybe he was just um planting a remark for the for future writers because mark twain was a precognitive super psychic as we'll discuss <laughs> in a, we are going to have a mark twain super psychic episode of mysterious world oh, man. oh fun i'm looking forward to that <laughs> so and our uh, last bit of feedback comes from caleb thomas via facebook on our uh, recent review of death in heaven uh the 12th doctor story says, uh, listening to your Death in Heaven review at the moment, and I recalled 2014 when the episode aired. It was actually quite interesting, as the promo for the episode that came after Dark Water ended with a clip of Clara saying, Clara Oswald never existed. And this was really misleading at the time, as my friends and I all thought the episode would have some huge Clara reveal. And then it turned out to be just a bluff. Completely disappointed. Mm -hmm. And there were some good theories made that week especially for what felt like a wham line at the end of a promo, though I uh, thought like it would have been more than a throwaway line or gag. Anyway, yeah. that's my five cents worth of memory at that time. Uh, <laughs> and then he adds, uh, I'm especially anticipating a review of the mind robber as this is the only second doctor story I've watched, though I've listened to some of the full cast lost story, audiobooks and big finish dramas. Speaking of big finish, I hope you're able to do more of their episodes for your episode soon especially with the seventh doctor stories wrapping up soon in your timeline. There's going to be a once in future doctor series for the 60th. That could be fun for you guys to review. Well, Caleb, you got your wish on that. Yeah. (laughs) We we are going to be doing more big finish and including with the seventh doctor. Yep. The first part of his email, refresh my memory. It was about 
Clara not, was never existed. Oh, Clara, yeah. So th- I, I don't know how it works in, in British television, but in American television, the people who produce the previews are not the same people, at least historically, have not been the same people as the showrunners for the main episodes. And there can be mm-hmm. conflicts between them because mm-hmm. the the interest of the people who make the previews is getting people to tune in. Right. Or in the case of movies, getting them to come to the theater. But that they can spoil things or distort things that mm-hmm. are contrary to the interests of the storytellers. I, I remember back in the 90s when Babylon 5 was on the air, there was an episode where Virkoto, uh marries a or is in an arranged marriage with a young woman who seems to be the girl of his dreams but it turns out she's a nazi and Mm -hmm. and that got spoiled in the previews and Mm -hmm. j michael straczynski was just irate that they spoiled the big twist of the episode so i don't know to what extent that happens today or in england but Unfortunately, the goal of get people to tune in does not always mesh perfectly with the yeah. goal of tell a good story. Yeah, for for me, the biggest crime in that exa- example of a crime in that is uh, Firefly. When Firefly was airing on Fox, they they at least in my eyes they promoted it as like you know sexy drama in space, mm-hmm. and it was it's just like I'm not interested. This looks not not interesting at all. Yeah, and then of course it turns out to be one of the best sci-fi shows of its time that was cut too short because Fox screwed it up again. <laughs> well, it still happens today. Like the Amazon's Rings of Power, Lord of the Rings series, you know, the marketing in that is like it would have led us to believe that Galadriel's love interest was this character Halbrand. Like every Tolkien fan knows that Galadriel's married to Celeborn and mm-hmm. you know, we who we see in the movies and is prominent in the books. And it was just this weird marketing thing. Like people were losing their minds. Like how could mm-hmm. she have this male, you know, this man, not elf, love interest? And it was just a marketing screw up. Because I'll just spoil that part for you to fix it for you right now. If you haven't seen it yet, yeah. he's not her love interest. Uh, it's just a. It was a weird much quirk. Not. Yeah, and so um, yeah, it still happens. And yeah, I've I've seen stories of showrunners like Straczynski pulling their hair out over these promos. And um, it's happened quite a few times I, in Doctor Who, apparently, I guess. I, I do. I was going to say, I do wonder with Doctor Who, though, if there's a little bit more control, especially since they do tag it on to the end of the episodes. But I don't know. Yeah, it may be. And it may vary from individual to individual. It, there does. It does seem that at least these days in Doctor Who, the showrunner has much more control over the marketing or has a large degree of control over the marketing mm-hmm. because that's apparently why Peter Capaldi, I'm not Peter Capaldi, uh, Chris Chibnall, we got so little marketing yeah. was mm-hmm. because that's the way Chibnall wanted it. And now that Russell T Davies is back in charge, they're taking a completely different marketing approach <laughs> and actually engaging the fans. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I wonder with, um, you know, with this Clara thing, the, the idea being, Say what I when I see the promos, I'm trying to form the thought in my head as I talk. When I see the promos, I basically don't believe them. Like I just I take it with a grain of salt. Mm -hmm. I you know whatever they show me, especially if it's something especially shocking, like the Mm -hmm. character's dead or doesn't exist. I you know I don't believe it until I see it, and that's 
basically. I, I've come to view it as the, uh, you know, those episodes where they start out with the big climax of the ship blowing up or whatever. And then, you know, yeah. 24 hours earlier. <laughs> right. And of course, you don't believe anything you just saw until the, before that 24 hours earlier. You know? Right. I, I treat them as, and I do the same thing with previews uh, of episodes at the beginning of the episode, you know, mm-hmm. where they flashbacked recently on our program. Um, I treat them as clues for what might happen. But I, I mean, th- these things will appear on screen next episode, but mm-hmm. not in necessarily in the context they're showing them to me. Exactly. And so I use them as data points to guess what's going to predict what's going to happen um, coming up on the show. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, thank you, everyone, for your feedback. That was some wonderful feedback, and uh, we love to get feedback from folks. Uh, before yes. we wrap things up, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Rebecca M., David W., Richard W., James P., and Katie T. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. And that's it from us. What did you think of Regeneration Impossible? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Send an email to Who at sqpn.com. Visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. You can also leave a comment on YouTube. You can watch The Secrets of Doctor Who in full video on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash starquestmedia. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing The Time Monster, which I forgot to note. I think that's a fifth Doctor story. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. Well, thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Uh, thank you very much. And actually, the Time Monster is a third Doctor story. That's right. We haven't done third Doctor in a while. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on Star Quest. And remember, regenerating in a morgue, you only do that once. <laughs>